today we are in the Gospel of John. We're in part 30 of John already. And uh, today we're sort of in John chapter 9. And we're sort of uh, finishing up kind of a mini-series in the series of John that's about spiritual blindness and spiritual sight. And uh, as we just read... um, uh, just recently, altogether, uh, you know, John, kind of the second part of the story of the man who was born blind. Uh, we have a lot of ground to cover today, and um, and this is such a cool story. So I'm excited to jump into it. Um, if you remember from last week, though, just let me catch up on the series for the last couple of weeks. Uh, we've been talking about how Jesus says he's the light of the world. And last week we uh, got into John 9, and there's this story about a guy uh, who Jesus uh, makes some mud. This guy has been born blind from birth. He has been a beggar. He has no hope. And Jesus finds him and makes some mud in the ground, and he wipes it on, uh, on the man's eyes and tells him to go wash, and he does, and, and the man can see. His blindness is, is cured uh, after a, a lifelong uh, blindness just like that. And so he goes back to his neighbors, and they're divided over, uh, if, is this even the same guy? And, uh, and, and so today's kind of section is really the fallout of all of that. <laughs> kind of what happens as the neighbors try to figure out what's going on, what happens as, as this is brought to the Pharisees, um, and, and what this ultimately means for you and me today, uh, too. Uh, you, you know, it, John talks about spiritual uh, sight and light. He talks about life uh, and, uh, in, in Jesus. And darkness and light, these are big ideas to him. Uh, because they teach us. They're things we can understand. Everybody knows what, how good it is to have life and, and how good it is to see and how important it is to have light in the dark. Uh, and so, uh, so that's kind of today that Jesus uh, is light and in him we can walk in the light too and have spiritual sight today. So today isn't so much about spiritual blindness as much as it is about spiritual sight. So that's kind of how we're spending our time today. We're just going to read through the story uh, and then we're going to kind of break down the characters today and then just make a few points of application at the end too. So why don't we pray and then we'll dive into the word this morning. Uh, well, Lord, we, we come to you today, Lord. And uh, Father, I just ask that, um, that you would speak through your word today. And Lord, that you would, um, you would do what I can't do and what our own eyes can't do, Lord, and that you, you would miraculously open our eyes to God. And that uh, not only would we see you, uh, but that we would get to know you better today and that we would hear your, your words for our, our lives um, today and for this week and for the people that you're calling us to be. And Lord, we just pray that we would, uh, we would experience you through this passage today. And in your name we pray, amen. Well, everybody knows how good it is to be in the light and how scary it can be in the darkness. I know we all have stories about that. And uh, this week, you know, I was trying to think of like, man, what's a really good story, you know, I have about, you know, being in, in the darkness and finding the light or something like that. And so I called my wife, Anna, and I was like, Anna, can you think of a time we were just like stuck in the dark or uh, a time when it was just so good to finally experience light after being in the dark or something like that? And Anna was like, oh, 
you know what my favorite memory is? I was like, what is it? She's like, that time my little sister and I locked you in my parents' basement when we were playing hide and seek. And I was like, you did what? <laughs> She's like, yeah, don't you remember? We were all playing, we were having a Nerf battle and hide and seek and stuff. And, and, and you went down into my parents' basement. And I feel like I should pause and just, so Anna's parents have this old craftsman house. It's beautiful. It's in the middle of this uh, hazelnut orchard. And the, the house is gorgeous. It, and it's so cool. And they just don't make them like that anymore. But the basement's kind of a different thing. If you know what I'm saying? Uh, you might think about like Home Alone or something like that, where the, the basement is just, you, you just, you don't go down there uh, for lots of reasons. And of course, I was kind of new to the house at that point too. So I, like, it kind of had like, don't go down here vibes to it. And so I was, I was kind of hiding and snooping around and I was down there. So when the, the door shut behind me and I heard a latch, um, I mean, not only was I really afraid for my life, I was also afraid I was going to get in trouble. And so Anna was like, uh, yeah, don't you remember that? And I didn't remember it. And then she started telling me about it. And, and then I saw like a, a blip of it. You know how that is when you're trying to remember something and then you just see like a snapshot? And I was like, <gasps> you, you did do that, you know? And, and I forgot that my wife is so awesome and lovely, but she can be scary too. And that was probably a healthy thing to remember. We all just have lots of stories about being in the light and being in the dark and being in places that are scary to be and then coming back, uh, you know, in this case to the kitchen, which was relieving when they let me back in. Um, and, and today's story is really about people who are in the dark. And, and not just are they people that are in the dark, but they're people who think that they can see in the dark and they can't really see. Uh, And that's uh, kind of a little bit what today is about. That's what's happened to this blind man is he, in this story, Jesus opens his eyes and, and spirit, and physically this man is blind. He can't see. And the the Pharisees and, and many of the people of that time were living in a time of darkness and they couldn't see. And so it's interesting after Jesus says, I'm the light of the world, he finds this guy and he opens his eyes. And this guy who didn't used to be able to see can now see. And so that's very confusing (laughs) for people, but also as we'll see later, kind of serves as a metaphor for particularly uh, the Pharisees as well. So if you remember from last week, Jesus has opened this man's eyes and, uh, and the neighbors are, can't, they can't believe this has happened. And they're divided about who this man is. They're like, well, is, is this a guy we've known our whole life that is like focusing in on me right now? Or is this somebody completely different? And, and they don't know what to, uh, to do, but I think they begin to, uh, to think that maybe something spiritual has happened. Maybe something miraculous has happened. So, you know, what they do is, is they take this blind man into the Pharisees because they were like spiritual leaders. These were people that that should have some answers for them. And that's uh, kind of where the story picks up is they go to the Pharisees and they kind of have this, this initial interview and it starts kind of like this. So they brought to the Pharisees the man who had been formerly blind. Now it was the Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened the man's eyes. So if you've been walking through the Gospel of John with us this year uh, and you just saw the word Pharisee and the word Sabbath, you just went, 
oh boy, you know, here we go again. And, and sure enough, uh, it's the Sabbath when Jesus does these things. And if you remember that there were a lot of rules that had, had been kind of uh, added to and, and made up. And, and there were so many, there was like genres of, of rules. And that is uh, so much so that it had turned into the, like this often a, a legal debate about what was allowed and what wasn't allowed. It had become very in, in cumbersome for people to abide under all of these rules. And when Jesus would do these things on the Sabbath, not breaking God's law, the Pharisees would be very offended because Jesus was breaking one of their rules. So uh, the Pharisees, again, their interest has, has been piqued now. And, and so they asked him how he had received his sight. And he said to them, he put mud on my eyes and I washed and I see. So because of this, some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, how can a sinful man perform such signs? And there's division among them. So there's an argument. The first part of the argument is that Jesus doesn't keep our rules. And he's broken the Sabbath, so he's a sinner. We know that God doesn't listen to sinners. So he's not from God. He could not have done these things. And we'll find out later, they don't even believe it's, it's happened. But there's other leaders here in the discussion. And they're like, yeah, but how could have this happened? How could a sinful man, apart from God, perform such signs? And so we find that there's division among uh, the leaders. John uses the word division a few times in his letter. Uh, one is in chapter 7, uh, talking about how Jesus is from Galilee, just his identity, where he was from. His very nature divided people. His actions in John chapter 9, they divide people. How could he heal a blind man if he's broken our rules? Later in uh, chapter 10, his words, he's the good shepherd and he lays down his life. He'll take it up again. This divides people. And so we just find often that people are divided when it comes to Jesus. So they ask the man, uh, not having been there, who do you say since he's opened your eyes? So that's how bad the division is. They, they have no consensus. So they ask this man who's a beggar. And we've already talked about in the past how Pharisees didn't, didn't look kindly on common people talking about the scriptures. And what, is the, what does the man say? He's a prophet. And this might sound a little familiar because uh, from, from the woman at the well who also experiences Jesus. And she says uh, to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. So this just means somebody from God. The, the, the things that they know, the things that they're doing, the miracles, their miraculous nature. I imagine even just the way it must have felt to see Jesus and hear his voice and talk to him. What it would be like to talk to somebody who knew everything about me. Can you imagine how it would feel to, to speak with somebody and converse with somebody like that. And these people that, that have nothing are complete outcasts, have nothing to lose. Meet somebody as wonderful as Jesus. And they say, he's gotta be from God. He's gotta be a prophet. Well, the next thing uh, that happens, they, they don't hear what they want to hear. 
and uh, this man has not provided. I think what they're hoping to hear is probably something along the lines of, you know what, I actually could see pretty good before, or I don't know, maybe I got kicked by a mule on the way to uh, the pool or something. Uh, but they don't hear what they want to, so they, they call in uh, the parents, and they continue to conduct their interview. So the Jews did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight and asked them, is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? And his parents answered, and they're very careful about what they say here. We know this is our son and that he was born blind. So check, check. But how he now sees, we do not know. Nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him, he's of age and he will speak for himself. So interestingly, they don't deny he's their son. Uh, he certainly is their son. There's no getting around that. They don't deny that he was born blind. They, they would have known that better than anybody else. But who could have done this? They don't know. If one of my sons was born blind and was a beggar and had that kind of a hard life and then one day walked through the door and looked at me and saw me, I would want to know what happened. <laughs> I'd probably throw something at him just to make sure, you know, <laughs> can you see, <laughs> you know? Um, and, and so I think they do know who's done this. I think they do know what's happened, but John points something out here uh, to, to us. And that's that his parents said these things because they feared the Jews. For the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be the Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, his parents said, he is of age, ask him. They're terrified of the Pharisees. There's now a cost for associating yourself with Jesus and it comes with a price. And the price is that you're put out of the synagogue. And, and scholars are all kinds of divided on how extensive that excommunication was, but they all agree that it, it would have been horrible, right? It would have been humiliating and embarrassing. It would have disrupted your life as the synagogue was such such a central place uh, for the ancient family. And so to be put out, to face that kind of inconvenience, to face, to face that kind of humiliation, uh, that was not a cost they were willing to pay. So they said, ask our son, he's of age. You had to be 13 to have a legal discussion uh, such as they were having. Uh, and so this concludes this. They've, they've told the Pharisees some things, but again, not what they're looking for, which is that there's no way this could have really happened. So there's another interview. They bring the blind man back in, and it's more formal this time. So a second time, they called the man who had been born blind and said to him, give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. Give glory to God probably was like a, a Jewish way of saying fess up. Give the glory to God. Tell the truth. Stop hiding what's really happened. Don't trick us anymore. Why don't you worship God right now by having some integrity and telling the truth? Uh, and, and others sort of say that maybe they're beginning to have some sort of belief that something unexplainable has happened. So they're saying, oh, okay, he can see. He couldn't use to see something has happened. Well, then give the praise to God. Leave Jesus out of it. He has nothing to do with this. He couldn't. He's a sinner. So give the glory to God. But either way, they claim to know that Jesus is a sinner. 
they, they claim to know that and to be able to see that, and that will become important later on. And so he answered, whether he's a sinner, I do not know. This guy's a beggar. He, he doesn't know everything that's going on. He doesn't know everything about Jesus. But one thing I do know is that though I was blind, now I see. Those are some very famous words in the Bible for a reason. They're very famous words in John for a reason. And one of the reasons is because this guy has so much boldness and integrity. And I think his experience with Jesus was so transformative that he's like, there's, there's no way I'm going to alter the truth. What I know is that I was blind and could see nothing, and then I met Jesus, and now I see. We'll come back to it. So they said to him, well, what did he do to you, and how did he open your eyes? And he answered them, I've told you already, and you wouldn't listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? And you might think maybe the man is being a little bit sarcastic and maybe he's sort of jeering them. And I think he is, but you have to think about how many times this guy's told his story and how it is when you tell somebody something and they listen and then they come back to you and have the same, the same conversation because they're not they're listening to you, but they're not really hearing you. You know what I'm saying? And, and so they're, they don't believe him and he knows. And he would have known the Pharisees. They would have been walking by him his entire life. I think he knows something about who they are and he knows that they don't want to become his disciples and that they won't believe him. So they reviled him saying, you're one of his disciples, but we are disciples of Moses. We knew that God spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. There's a lot of interesting things here. We won't have time for all of it, but to revile means to speak abusively to. They just, they abused the man. Here's these spiritual leaders that these people have come to for answers and, and you begin to see the fruit of their ministry. What does it look like? They speak abusively to, <laughs> to, to beggars. Uh, and so they revile him and, and they claim to be disciples of Moses. Interestingly, they've recently claimed to be children of Abraham. They see, they know you can't tell them something new because they already know the truth. And that becomes important as the story progressive. And the man answered, why, this is an amazing thing. You don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God doesn't listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind, if this man were not from God, he could do nothing. And they answered him, you were born in utter sin and you would teach us and they cast him out. You were born in utter sin. What do they really think about the guy? Maybe they should tell him. Uh, but the man's logic is that how would he do this if he wasn't from God? He hasn't changed his story. In fact, I think he's figuring more out all along. And then Jesus arrives on scene in the story and Jesus has an interview of his own. And he wants to know what the man believes. Jesus heard that they had cast him out and having found him, he said, do you believe in the son of man? And he answered, who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? And Jesus said to him, you've seen him and it is he who is speaking to you. Jesus heard the man. 
He heard what was going on in the man's life. So you have to think about for a minute what a dark moment that might have felt like to recently have your sight, but then to also be ostracized from everybody, your family, the synagogue, the, the local leaders, people of respect, all want nothing to do with you. And he's been excommunicated, but, but Jesus hears what's going on. And it's interesting uh, that John uses the word that Jesus heard him. And he, and he heard about what is going on with the man. And not just that, but Jesus found the man. The man doesn't find Jesus. The man doesn't stumble upon the truth. Jesus finds him. Jesus has been in control this, this whole time. And he asks him the only important question in the world truly, which is, do you believe in the Son of Man? And I think at this, the man knows that all truth lies in who he's talking to. Who is he, sir, that I, I may believe in him? Jesus says, you have seen him. Why? Because his eyes have been opened. And it is he who's speaking to you. The man is seeing and he's hearing Jesus. And so the man responds with, again, some very famous words in the Bible. He said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. This is my favorite verse of the story. Uh, recently, he said, who is he, sir? And, and that's like the word for like somebody of respect, somebody that, that you would say sir to today, perhaps. But the same word is used for Lord, but the, the, the definition of the word has changed. It was also a word for a master who is worthy of, of respect and, and praise and belief, it, somebody who, who was in charge and had authority. It was a very powerful word, one that was widely known at the time. This Lord was not sir, this Lord was worthy of worship. This Lord had power that nobody else had. There's, there's one Lord. And it was the Lord whom the man says, I believe. And this word is important too, that he believes in the Lord. Um, to believe means to entrust oneself to an entity with complete confidence. So when he says that you're the Lord, you're the master, and that he believes in the Lord, the master, what he's saying is he has total confidence, total trust in him. Further, it, it relies on the power and the nearness to help. Not only that, but being convinced of the revelations and the claims. This man has put his complete confidence, his complete trust, his whole life in the hands of Jesus. And that's what it means to believe in Jesus is that he receives our complete confidence, our complete trust, our, our undying loyalty and worship because he's the master. He's the Lord. There's no other Lord. And he worshiped him. This word means to prostrate yourself, to be low, it's the idea that Jesus was standing there and the man laid down and he worshiped him. That's the thing about belief is it's not just head knowledge. It's not just understanding what other religious folk can't understand. It's a heartfelt response to it too. And the man does this. He falls down and he, he worships Jesus. Jesus is his master. He's placed his total belief all of his confidence, all of his trust in this person. And he's fallen down and with his heart, he's worshiped him. 
And then Jesus begins to explain what's happening. He says, for judgment, I came into this world that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. Remember, thinking you see isn't necessarily seeing when it comes to spiritual things. Now, some of the Pharisees were standing around and they heard these things and they said, are we also blind? And Jesus said, if you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. The Pharisees wouldn't believe in Jesus. They were already the children of Abraham. They were already the disciples of Moses. They already knew the law. They already had the answers. And their hearts were hard to Jesus. Whereas people who claimed to know nothing and were vulnerable and lost, roaming around in the darkness in need of a shepherd, see Jesus and meet Jesus and are changed by Jesus. And Jesus says it's those people who see. And, and it is the people who claim to see already. They claim to be already those are really the blind ones. It's a really interesting story. And, and I think the story, I wanted to spend so much time on it because it sort of preaches itself a little bit, but I couldn't help but, but notice that all of the characters in the story were really interesting. And, and I wanted just to kind of go through them and, and just review the characters a little bit. A fun conversation to have with yourself is, is which of... Um, which of the characters you identify with most. For instance, there's the neighbors. And the neighbors in the story know that something has happened. They can't explain how it's happened. And you, you see that they're curious about spiritual things. They're curious about things that they don't know the answers to. Sadly, they go to the Pharisees who should have the answers, but their hearts are hard and their eyes are blind. And so they're searching. They're searching for answers, but they're not finding any answers. They're curious, but they're not hearing any truth. You know, Isaiah talks about people walking in the darkness, but they've seen a great light. And, and how Jesus is, he is that light in the darkness. Uh, and and the, neighbors, the neighbors were in need of a shepherd. They were in need of the light. People are in need of Jesus today. They're in need of sight today. And nothing makes sense when we don't have our spiritual sight. There's the parents in this story. And the, the best way to describe them is fearful. That's kind of how John describes them. They're terrified in this story. They know that there's truth. They know that there's truth in Jesus, but they don't want what comes with that. So they're half honest about it. They know that there's a Jesus. They know that there's a God, but they, they, they distance themselves from him. They keep him at arm's length because they don't want what comes with that. They're terrified. There are, for instance, the Pharisees in this story. They're blind, but Worse than being blind is that they claim to already see and they have spiritual pride. And Jesus never speaks highly about that type of thing. Their hearts are stubborn and they refuse to believe. There's the man who sees. He's not the blind man in John 9. He's the seeing man in John 9 and he's honest. He just tells it like it is. He doesn't know the four spiritual laws. He can't explain how, you know, Christology reveals itself in the Bible. He's just honest about the experience he has with Jesus. He believes with his heart. He believes and he gives Jesus uh, the praise and the honor because he worships him in his life. He falls down reverently and, and lays down at the feet of Jesus and worships. And then there's Jesus who is at work and he's busy in John chapter nine. He, he hears and he finds, he speaks 
and uh, he heals. Jesus has power, and he has power that, that nobody else has. He has life that nobody else has. He has light that nobody else has. And so, um, and so interestingly, uh, Jesus becomes uh, the, the character of desire in this story. And as we kind of close our time today, I, I wanted just to think a little bit about you and me uh, in this story today too, and, and what it means to place, uh, to, to have spiritual eyesight in this story uh, a little bit, and as we think about our lives a little bit. And uh, as we've been talking about spiritual blindness in the world and spiritual sight in the world, uh, I wanted to talk a little bit just for this week, what would it mean to see with good spiritual sight? Uh, you and I today, largely, uh, are, are not blind. We're people with spiritual sight. We've been brought out of the darkness into the light. We abide in the light. We walk in the light. And so how do we see with, with a good spiritual perspective? And I think there's actually a lot in this story uh, that, that talks about that. Uh, for one thing, uh, good spiritual eyesight focuses in on Jesus. Uh, Jesus is just the main character in life. He's, he's the main thing that you see. It reminds me of like sometimes like it, with a camera, there's something that's in focus and everything else is a little bit blurry. There's just one thing that is really important in life and that's Jesus. And we talk a lot about, you know, not being the point, but instead being pointers. Our, our lives are focused on Jesus. Hebrews says he's the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Uh, he becomes our light so we can see. He becomes our frame of reference. The world makes sense when he's what's in focus. Uh, when I was a little kid, I grew up uh, going to Walla Walla in the summers and my grandma lived out there and uh, I may have told you about her house before, but it was really interesting because there's this little town called Tushi. Uh, and uh, <laughs> and uh, my grandma's house was, um, it, it's like it sounds, it's this tiny little town you pass through. And, uh, and then as you drive through town, which isn't very big, there's, uh, there's a little town, uh, sort of a little part of the town called Gardena up at the very top of it. And there's just a few roads that even go that way. And there's one last road that kind of goes along, kind of in eastern Washington, you know those huge hills with the windmills on them? Well, my grandpa uh, had land out there, and her house was the very last house that, that you could get to. You, you, there were no roads behind her house. Uh, there was nothing behind her house. There were hundreds of acres of federal barren land. And it was an, a really magical place to grow up. I loved it out there. Um, and at night, it was so dark out there. There were no, city lights were miles away. There was her porch light, and then there was this little field, and across the field was my cousin's house. Uh, my grandma had 11 kids, so everybody in Gardena is my cousin. And, uh, and he lived, um, and so he had a porch light too. And one night when I was a little kid, I remember going from her house to my cousin's house. He was a few years older than me, and I loved hanging out with him. I would stop at no lengths to go hang out with my cousin. So it was dark and it was windy because out in the desert hills there's a lot of wind at night and I said I'm gonna go over uh, to my cousin's house and she said okay just be careful and are you sure you want to make the trip and I was like 
it's like 300 yards away, you know, it's, it's not very far. And, and so I went outside and I remember thinking, of course, I'm like eight or nine, that it was really windy and it was really dark. It was overcast, it was black, and it was hard to even walk. And of course, I weighed like 50 pounds or something ridiculous, you know. Uh, and, and so I walked down the porch and there were like this group of trees you had to walk through. And then you were just in this field. It was a hay field that had just been plowed. And so it was really uneven and, uh, and it was really hard to walk. And I remember just being in darkness. And it was so weird, I knew that field, I had grown up seeing that field, and I couldn't walk in it because I couldn't see where I was going. I mean, I couldn't figure out where to put my foot. So I would take a step and I would fall, and it didn't hurt too bad, and I'd get back up, I'd take another step, and I would fall. And even though there's nothing out there, it's an open hay field, I'm walking like this because I can't figure out how to walk in the darkness. The great part about knowing Jesus and having spiritual sight is that there is light. So you know where to step and you know how to walk and and, and you know how to get through the trials and the persecutions and, and the hurt. You know that in the light, he takes care of us. He shepherds us as we're about ready to start talking about. He works things together in our life. So we always know what step to take next. The, the field makes sense because we have light. And so we want to be people who focus on Jesus and walk with the light. We're able to make it across the field because he lights our way. Secondly, in the story, there's the story, there's the problem of spiritual blindness. And we all in our lives today have blind people in our lives, neighbors or coworkers or maybe family members. And there's a problem that we can't open the eyes of the blind. You can't do that. Only God can do that. Uh, but what we can do uh, for, for the blind is we can pray. Uh, we can pray on their behalf uh, for them with, with all of our hearts because we know that God hears us. We know that God loves us. And I've been really convicted about that. We, we should pray for the blind with our hearts. We should fervently pray for the blind. Secondly, we should, we should love blind people. And we should be examples of love to blind people. Uh, and and that, that God and his love and his compassion would be modeled in our lives by our changing nature. And I think a third thing too is that we should be ready. We should be ready to talk about what the Lord has done in our life. How he's opened our eyes. How he's healed our innermost hurts. Uh, we should be ready to give an account for that. Jesus says, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to God, uh, to your Father in heaven. Uh, we can't open the eyes of the blind. Uh, but we can love them and we can pray for them and we can be there for them. Uh, in Romans 10, uh, Paul says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And he talks about people though. And, and how are they to hear without someone preaching? And then he goes on to, to quote the Old Testament, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. 
That's you and me uh, that have the feet that can preach the good news. Why? Because our eyes have been opened. Because we see Jesus and we focus in on Jesus. So we love the blind well. I think the third thing is that we would be bold and truthful about God's miraculous work in our lives. That's kind of what we're talking about a little bit. But you see that with the man. He doesn't know everything. He's not quoting scripture. Uh, He doesn't have these wise Hebraic proverbs or anything like that. He's just truthful about what he knows. And we should be too. Sometimes I think a lot of us don't feel like we know enough to be able to really speak boldly about the Lord. Sometimes those of us who even know a lot don't feel like we know enough. And if that's a fear that, that holds you back, when will it be that you finally know enough? When will it be that you finally know enough to share? I think we just start with what we know and we trust and we continue to look into the word. We continue. It's interesting, a lot of people noted in the story that as this man, as he interacted with Jesus and as he went through all this, it was like he was getting to know Jesus more and more and more. There's a progression of the things even Jesus is called in John 9. And, And by the end, he's just ready to place his total belief and confidence and worship Jesus. So we should be bold. And I know there are great stories of how God has worked in your lives here. Uh, I remember coming to Gateway almost seven years ago now. And, you know, I was, I was in school. There was no way we could afford to move. Uh, the, the problems and the obstacles that laid in the way of me ever moving back to the West Coast were ridiculous. There were so many things. I remember talking to Bob really early on uh, when I was interviewing here and sort of, I remember having this conversation that sort of ended with, well, there's no way this is gonna work, but it was really nice to catch up. And I'm really glad we got to talk to each other for a little bit. And then it was like thing after thing after thing just starting to work out. I mean, just, just, and, and so many things. I remember telling you guys about that years ago, and, and, but I, I didn't want to tell anybody about it. It felt too good to be true. I felt overprivileged. I felt overblessed. I, I, didn't, I didn't want to make a lot of myself. But here's the thing is, is I did begin to share with people who were asking, you know what I heard? Stories of the same thing. <laughs> I started hearing stories of people in here, people who flipped over in cars and should have died but they opened the door and they walked away from the car. I, I know people who have had that happen. They, they left their job because the Lord was leading them to do it. They didn't know what was next. And something fell into their lap that was too crazy to explain. There were people that found cancer and beat cancer in weird ways. There were people who bought a house they never could, they shouldn't have been able to buy. It was a fluke that it even worked. There were people who married a person that was just so much more than they could have ever imagined. And they don't know how that all worked out, but, but it did. <laughs> story after story, people who were terrified of death. It kept them up at night. They couldn't sleep. They had stomach issues. And they met Jesus and didn't worry about death anymore. And these stories of how God works in our life, they just shine for his glory. This man, his whole story just brings glory to God. But the most significant work is that while we were in utter darkness, while we were spiritually dead with no hope, God found us and he brought us in to the light. And all of us have that story. And that story transcends circumstance. That story lasts longer than anything on on this life. And and we all have that together. 
Uh, there's a verse uh, in Peter um, that says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. And I've always loved that part of the verse, but this week, this part really caught me. That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of the darkness into his marvelous light. Saved for a purpose. Why? To proclaim his excellencies. We bring him glory. We tell the story of his love and redemption and healing and power. It overflows out of our lives. And there's one more thing, that we should be those who believe worshipfully. It's not just head knowledge. It's not just that we memorized a few verses in Romans and now we're saved and one day we're going to die and go to heaven, but, but that we have this relationship with Jesus where we just fall at his feet and we worship him and we love him. There's something heartfelt about belief and worship and even his lordship in our life in the Bible. And that's why, you know, even whatever we do, that we work at it with all of our heart because we're working for the Lord. We're working for the master. And so every single day has meaning. Why? Because we worship the Lord. Every single day uh, has blessings. Why? Because we worship the Lord and, and he has us in this world for a reason. We're salt in the planet. We're light in the darkness. Uh, and we see that Jesus is worthy of all of our praise. He is our Lord. And that is healthy, spiritual eyesight in John. Uh, I wanted to close today uh, with worship. <laughs> and so I'm going to pray for us and then uh, we'll get to worship and uh, we'll close our time. Lord, we just thank you for your love and that you, you have, Lord. You've brought us out of that, that darkness and Lord, you've brought us into the light. And that Lord, in you, that there is life and there's hope, there's a future. Lord, that you guide our every step. And Lord, we thank you for that today. And we pray that you would give us boldness and courage to declare our experience with you and, and what we know to be true, what you've opened our eyes to see. Lord, and that we might be those who would know your infinite worth, Lord, that we would be moved by your worth, that everything else in our life would mean less and less because you mean more and more. And, and Lord, I pray that that would transform the world around us, that people would experience your love because of us. People would be served by you because of us. People would see your brilliant, glorious light because of us. Lord Jesus, we just ask that you would send us out this week as people who follow and depend on and place all of our confidence in you this week. And in your name we pray. 